0: It is the 10th of May, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Let me start off with, uh, you know, a question we ask frequently. encourage you to maybe put it on a sticky note and post it on your fridge or your coffee pot. Where in the word are you today? Where in the word are you today? Spend some time considering the Word of God and the counsel of God. Spend some time with God. If we're going to be His ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation, if we are going to be representing Christ to the world, then we need to know Christ. We need to know God, and we know God um, by drawing unto Him. Yes, through prayer, but through His Word. It's the primary way that God has chosen to reveal himself. I mean, you know, beyond the general revelation of God in creation, we have the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, and then you know, we have the person of Christ. We come to know the person of Christ through the scriptures that reveal him. And so we encourage you to be in the Word of God today before you get out there into the world that God so loves. I read a piece uh, by Thaddeus Williams, um, At the World News Group website, and I thought, you know, um, he makes some really good points, and I think that in terms of equipping ourselves for the conversations of the day, it um, is—it's often helpful. I find it helpful to um, consider how I might answer the criticisms of uh, of those with whom I disagree, and so there, uh, there, there is a. Style of argumentation against the pro life movement or against those of us who would consider ourselves pro life. And you know that I describe myself as pro life from conception to natural death, um, which would mean I, uh, you know, I am pro life from womb to tomb. That would be one way of describing it. I am broadly pro life. I am pro life across a range of topics. It's why you and I disagree on some things because you're pro life. Ethic And my pro-life ethic are sometimes um, different. I mean, I apply, apply a pro-life eth- ethic to conversations about immigration or conversations about um, people who are formerly incarcerated. I apply a broadly pro-life ethic to conversations about single parenting. I prov- I, you know, I'm applying a broadly pro-life ethic to, um, to all kinds of conversations. Today, and uh, and some people uh, confine their pro life convictions to just conversations um, or exclusively conversations about the preborn. I think that um, child care is a pro life issue. I think that um, foster care and adoption are pro life concerns and issues. And so, when I talk about uh, being pro life, I have a, a comprehensive approach to that. Um, Thaddeus Williams is addressing the sloganism, the argument that says, you know, pro-life people only care about uh, the pre-born, and once a child is born, pro-life advocates really no longer care. Uh, we don't care about the poor. Uh, it's, a, it's a judgmentalism that I think is not um, rightly uh, wielded against people who are pro-life, and yet there are some people who consider themselves pro-life for whom the only pro-life issue is the issue of abortion. They're not particularly pro-life when it comes to other concerns. However, um, the sloganism related to this that is used by uh, pro-abortion advocates deserves an answer. And Thaddeus Williams provides one in this uh, piece in World Magazine. And I just simply wanted to highlight that uh some of the points that he makes. There there is a difference between um not caring for the poor, which is what anti or what pro abortion advocates would argue, um you know, they they argue that uh pro life advocates don't care about the poor, we don't care about health care, we don't care about single moms, we don't care about I mean on and on and on. Okay, so here's the the paragraph uh in Thaddeus Williams' piece that I think is particularly helpful. It's a, it's imperative that we point out there's a world of difference between not caring for the poor and thinking that typical leftist policies are not the best way to help the poor. There's a gaping difference um, between conservative households who donate substantially more money to charity than liberal households. In a 2018 Barna study, practicing Christians outpace all other demographics in providing food to the poor, donating clothing and furniture to the poor, praying for the poor— providing for shelter and housing, giving personal time to serve the poor in their communities and beyond U.S. borders. Uh, He says uh, the belief that uh, we either rally for more expansive government attempts to alleviate poverty or we just don't care about alleviating poverty, um, that in itself is a a self-righteous way to frame the options before us. And he, he says that this is limiting our discourse socialist solutions do not work in actual practice and he goes on to talk about that um and so you know i think that being able to stand up and say look there is a difference between not caring and believing that just having the government provide um you know an increasing level of support Uh, is the answer to a question. We have better answers. We have different answers. And we need to be talking about those as well. All right. There you go. That's the lead off for this morning. Nick Pitts joins us next. We're going to talk about some of the headlines uh, of the day, including the one single most important parenting decision you'll ever make. That's up next. here on Mornings with Carmen. Rick Pitts joins us again. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Good morning, sir.
2: Good morning, Carmen. Great to be with you.
0: Well, so parents make all kinds of decisions and they wring their hands over many, many of them. What um, are we now learning is actually the one parenting decision that really matters?
2: Carmen, I am shook by this article and would highly encourage all uh, everyone to, to read it. Uh, out of the Atlantic, it, it found that um, parents in the first year of their child's life are going to make approximately 1700 difficult decisions. And, the, and we all have been in a bookstore, we've all seen on Amazon, we're all keenly aware of the pressures that are put onto parents when it comes to raising children and the, the, uh, the sheer amount of opinions and perspectives and paradigms, etc., that are exposed and are introduced into the vast industrial parenting complex. What this article finds, and what the research is pointing to, is that it's actually the community around your kids, which is which is of great importance when it comes to raising your kids.
0: Yeah, and when you talk about the community, I um, mean, we're talking about where we're raising our kids, what's the context, and then who are we surrounding our child with? Like, who are we exposing them to, and. Uh, What are the influences? And so this is this atmospheric, this, um, (laughs) you know, are we raising them in Narnian air is one way to think about this. Like, great. So it's not just what is your geographic location, but who who are the people? What is the community with in the context of whom you are raising this child?
2: Completely agree, and we've always known this to be true, right? We always, we've always known that um, parent. What is it? Parents just don't understand. From Will Smith and DJ, DJ Jazzy Jeff in the '90s, um, it's this idea that we're all keenly aware of that kids typically uh, start tuning out their parents uh, as they get into their teen years, and so we're we're always keenly aware of who we're surrounding our kids with, who are those people that they're surrounded by. And what we've always known to be true is that the other voices have very influent, have great influence over your kids during some of those teenage and preteen formative years. And what this research is pointing back to is just the reality that community matters, that um, being surrounded by the Jonathans to Davids, the Timothys to Pauls, the, uh, the Ruth and uh, Naomi, et cetera, the community matters when you're surrounded by these people.
0: I, uh, I I love this it's um it's a good conversation starter if you are of grandparenting age it's a great conversation starter um, for those of you that are church leaders and involved in developing those communities it's a great conversation for your small group or your community group um, really really interesting content so it's at the Atlantic.com um, parenting decisions uh, and it's about not trusting your gut because the one parenting decision that really matters is is the atmosphere, the climate, the community in which you actually raise your kids. All right, we're going to be back in just a moment with Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. um, And we're going to talk, well, I'm going to call it a mental health story. um, But it's a conversation about how you talk about and with those who attempt suicide. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Nick Pitts, um, he is a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement and a good Christian uh, friend. All right, Nick, I sent you this article from The Washington Post, um, and let me just let me just start off by saying, if you're listening to this and you or someone that you know needs immediate help, um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK. Eight hundred two seven three 273 talk Because this subject matter uh, of suicide ideation and suicide attempt um, is a real one in the culture today. So Nick, the headline here is, no one knows what to say when I share, I tried to kill myself. Um, that's okay. Ta- take us into this, um, into this conversation.
2: Uh, um, What we all know to be true and we've seen on the headlines and um, the reality is probably many of us have experienced personally, whether with a family member or a friend or a loved one, is that increasingly we're starting to see an uptick in the number of individuals that are contemplating suicide as well as individuals that are committing suicide. Um, They've climbed every year. Suicide rates have climbed every year in the U.S. since 1999. It's been a 35 percent increase in the past two decades. Today, approximately here in the U.S., around 128 people um, will uh, commit suicide. Uh, There will be uh, 1.4 million attempts at suicide this year. Um, And what we're finding is that increasingly one of the things that we can point back to is what we what we know about suicide is that it's it can be very it has unique circumstances for each individual. Um, but what we do know is there is something called the contagion effect that often is the case. And so um, we saw this uh, most most significantly with the suicide of Robin Williams. Of when one person commits suicide, it almost acts as a permission slip for those that are contemplating suicide to perform. That act. It's contagious in nature. Um, it's been described as the reluctant answer for a weary soul. And what this article is pointing to is it's inviting us into a conversation in which some of us have had, which is individuals that really um, are, are expressing, um, take, showing great courage to express their desperation and express their exhaust to an individual. And then on the receiving end, so many of us just don't know what to say in that time. And what the article is pointing to is the reality of you really don't need to know what to say as much as how to listen to that person that's struggling. Mm.
0: So the numbers are pretty dramatic. I mean, if we've got 1.4 million people attempting suicide each year and some 50,000 people dying of suicide Um, We have a lot of people around us who have attempted suicide, um, you know, and were, uh, you know, thankfully their life was spared. Um, Mm -hmm. But this is a conversation, Nick, you know, frankly, I have to confess to you, I haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about. um, I have only in my life had a couple of people who have attempted suicide and you know, I guess the languages failed, right? They, their their attempt to take their own life was not successful, um, and conversations with them on the uh, you know on the on the life side of that, on the recovery side of that. Um, in one case, um, and again, I know it's you know it's like statistically irrelevant to talk about the one case, right? But I don't know mm-hmm. how else to approach the conversation than to say, you know, I like I unlike Job's friend our Job's friends, like I I just listened because I had to confess, like to myself and to them, I I honestly don't know what to say. Yeah. Um so I, I think that when we when we wade around in this, um, it's okay to acknowledge that we don't know what to say. It's okay to acknowledge that we don't know how someone else is feeling. It's also okay for us to acknowledge that we're deeply concerned about them.
2: Completely agree, and, and there's there's a general tendency for so many of us when we don't know what to say, we often want to ask the question, "What can we do?" And uh, there is a a mental physiological component to suicide ideation, and coupled with that depression, that uh, is just so difficult for us to really respond with an action and what i would just suggest is is again not only wanting to be close to that person and to listen to that person that's contemplating this but also to ask their permission to invite others in to listen to recognize the value of community, of even if a community of people don't know necessarily what to do or what to say, increasingly letting that person process, being around that person, seeking out professional help for that person with their permission is, is such an important factor for so many people as we're starting increasingly seeing more and more people are having this type of ideation and attempts to really just kind of end their life. Mm.
0: Um, All right. I have um, one more story to cover with you before you go. Um, Are you the person that um, picked up a coyote in the wilderness and thought you were taking home a puppy? Like what?
2: What in the world is this story? (laughs) Uh, I'm so glad it's not me, but I'm also so uh, aware that it could be me as we contemplate adopting Uh. a dog. In the Pitt's household, I know that my <laughs> wife has a uh, proclivity <laughs> to, if it's cute, it, it must be hers. <laughs> so. Okay,
0: so what happened in this story? I mean, we're reading it. It's posted at CNN. A Massachusetts family thought they rescued a stray puppy. It turned out to be a coyote. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Nat- naturally, because we you know it is the season, right we've got foxes <laughs> that are terrorizing d c right now, and you know if it's got four legs and it's fuzzy, I mean we're all so prone to just want to draw in the air and here we are this could have been uh, this could have been quite a quite a conundrum,
0: yeah, so uh so just for those of you who probably um aren't gonna look this up uh this Family was um, driving around in uh, what's called the Cape Wildlife uh, portion of their state, and they picked up what they thought was this lost puppy wandering distressed at the side of the road. I mean, in reality, it had just been momentarily separated from its mother. I guess I'm glad she didn't show up right then um, to reclaim her pup, right? But they picked it up, took it and, you know, put it in their car and drove off with it, right? And uh, only eventually to learn— um, that uh, that it was a coyote puppy.
2: Naturally, naturally, because you know coyotes are just everywhere. There are a lot of coyotes in our neighborhood, though. So, uh, I again, I it would not shock yeah. me, a place <laughs> if I come home and there's a there's an animal. <laughs> no. So, uh,
0: all right, so um, so adopting a dog is on your uh is is on your radar, huh?
2: yeah like so many Americans we are even though uh we're all headed back to the office um we've got we one got married two got the house, and now three the the dog is uh on the list of things to do. We don't know where uh Freddie is out there, but we do know he's out there, and uh he will soon become a pits and so we're we're going the adoption route, and lo and behold i'm um, thoughts and prayers for me as I uh, as I navigate this is someone that never grew up with a dog, Carmen.
0: Oh, you have never no idea up. what you're in store for. It's never fantastic. Never grew up with
2: a dog. Had a it, gerbil it. named Feedy, but that's the extent <laughs> of my uh, Snow White uh, dealing with animals.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, then I can hardly wait. All right, I'm going to just... Uh, uh, I don't know if I'm praying for Freddie uh, yet or not, but Freddie Pitts, man, you're going to have a great life, uh, whoever you are. All right. Yeah. Well, we look forward to um, continued reporting on this topic. Nick, as always, thank you so much. We love chatting with you.
2: Thanks so much, Carmen.
0: Absolutely. All right. Puppies. You know me. I'm a a sucker for puppies. If you want to post a picture of your puppies, you can do so. Text me 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
1: The perfect puppy for me.
0: You ain't nothing but a You a I have no uh, good segue into uh, from puppies to the war in Ukraine. So I will just make a uh, a gross departure here and talk about um, the southern Ukrainian city of Odessa, which has come under heavy attack. Russian forces have deployed cruise missiles, including their new hypersonic missiles, destroying at least two hotels, a shopping center, a warehouse. Um, they are targeting hospitals and schools. The World Health Organization has verified there have been 200 attacks on healthcare facilities in Ukraine since the start of the Russian invasion. Um, to help the Ukrainians combat Russian aggression, the United States is uh, is now uh, looking to commit another forty billion dollars to Ukrainian aid uh, that will come it, it split i think almost equally between food assistance for the people of Ukraine as well as uh, continued military assistance as well. so the House of Representatives is likely to consider that forty billion dollar aid package today. You can be watching. Um, for that uh, in conversations across the headline news. Joining us on other international headlines uh, is Luke Moon from the Philos Project and Providence Magazine. So next up, what in the world is going on in the world? Right here on Mornings with Carmen.
2: The
1: wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast the golden crown.
0: joining us now Luke moon I am very busy texting people who are sending me pictures of their dogs so sorry Luke I was uh, briefly I distracted
1: I can join in on that I have a. Right? I have a new, I have a new um, German short-haired pointer she's <gasps> she's, six months, she's six months old and and uh, she is she's the funniest dog I swear it, it I don't. I don't know. My first time I've ever owned a GSP, as they're called amongst the the peeps, but uh, it, it just <laughs> everything she does is is basically funny. You know what is her name? So, her name is Margot Truffle Pig. Um,
0: Margot Truffle Pig. Oh, yes. Is Truffle Pig yes. one word?
1: Uh, hyphenated. hyphenated. I
0: hyphenated Truffle yeah. Pig. Mm-hmm. Yes. I yeah. already love her. We're going to need to see her picture. You can text her picture in to 877-933-2484. That's what everybody else is doing. I'm looking at pictures of of Newman and Afton and Parker and Casey and Camo and Kanai and two little St. <laughs> Charles, those little St. Charles fluffy dogs that I don't know their names, but they're super cute. Yeah, there you go. That's what, that's okay. what I have for you this morning. Um <laughs> Afghanistan. Um maybe not a surprise to anyone, the Taliban has uh, uh reinstituted um the hijab uh for Afghan women, um and uh and even the celebration of religious holidays has changed under the Taliban rule. Wanna bring people up to date on what's going on in Afghanistan?
1: Yeah. Um it's actually more than the the hijab. The hijab is just, you know, the, one, the thing that covers the hair. But what was what they required was the burqa, which is mm-hmm. the full, covers the entire face. Uh, the edict, which was supposed to go into effect on Saturday, uh, was that they basically brought that back, the burqa. It's hard to say five times fast. And, and then, uh, like you said, banned parties and... Uh, you know, women should not go out without uh, male escorts um, is a very kind of hardline line uh, task. Right. And and it has been met with, you know, disobedience, we'll say. Right. There's division within the Taliban over these kinds of edicts because the Taliban is having a hard time shifting from being a rebel group to to being a governing body. You know, it's easy to be, you know, against everything, right? It's it's harder to be for for, for stuff and be responsible for people who, you know, don't want to follow your, you know, seven hundred year old rules, right? And mm-hmm. so I think that's there's division within the Taliban between the the pragmatists and the the zealots. Uh, the, the leader of the Taliban is in the zealot category. Um, But there are other leaders that are in the pragmatism category. And, you know, it's, I mean, they're having a really hard time, you know, like I said, organizing government, uh, feeding the people um, and, and running a country. And, and, you know, it's, it's always hard. I mean, honestly, it's hard for, you know, I, I think it's, it's one of those, I'm a sphere sovereignty guy, a principled pluralism, and there's a domain of, of government and a domain of the church or the mosque or whatever, like religious institutions have a role. And they're actually distinctive, right? And when there's an attempt for, you know, the the mosque to rule the state or the church to rule the state, it always ends up failing, right? Because I think it goes against God's plan for how the world operates. So, but that's more philosophical.
0: No, but I think that's a that's an excellent point because I think that we imagine that oh, well, if Christians and the church just got to be in charge of everything, um, you know, everything government-wise would work exactly right. Well, the challenge there is that that's that's just not God's design. Like there is this uh, there is this sphere sovereignty. There health. is Yeah. Exactly.
1: And it goes, actually, I think it goes back to goes back to Moses and Aaron. Right. Like the the Moses was was the it's called the political leader. Aaron was religious leader. Uh, You have, you know, David and and um, when when uh, uh, not not David, when Hezekiah thought he, you know, he was going to he had he had been so successful as a as a political leader, as a military leader, thought, well, you know, now I should be in charge of, of the, of the temple too. And so he stormed into the temple thinking he was going to be the big shot and came out with leprosy, right? God's like, no, there's a line here. And I think separation of powers matter. It doesn't mean that, you know, you can't have Christians in government and that the, the foundation for, for, for law can't be rooted in, in, you know, your understanding of where law comes from, right? You know, some kind of something transcendent often, but it does mean that you have to have like, th- there is a, I mean, the, the role of the church, the mosque, the, the, the synagogue is, is, is mercy. And the role of the state is justice. And the state has the, the ability to bear the sword and the responsibility to bear the sword and everything it does is violent. Right. and, and that's not the role of religious institutions because they their focus is 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 supposed to be um transcendent. There you so go. I had I it, it, that was awesome.
0: <laughs> that was awesome. I had an interesting conversation with um Sarah Zalstra from the Gospel Coalition about a piece she wrote um uh it's called Escape from Kabul. And in it they talk about these identity cards and people uh, particularly Christians in in Afghanistan, changing their identity cards um, along the way over the course of the last several years. They changed their identity cards to indicate that they're Christians, and obviously that put them in the crosshairs of the Taliban when they took over. I tell you that because I just read um, the story in the Washington Post that in World War II, Jewish soldiers um, fighting on behalf of the United States often indicated on their dog tags um, a P for Protestant instead of an H for Hebrew, because uh, you know they feared that if they were taken captive by obviously the Nazis, then they didn't want to be identified as Jewish. But right. that meant that, that when they died, they were buried with crosses on their headstones because they had a P for Protestant on their dog tags, not an H for Hebrew. Well, now um, families in the United States have made an appeal and those headstones are now being replaced with headstones um shaped um like the star of david and wow. they're being i know so i thought you would appreciate knowing that um and that's a long time for families to be visiting a grave that's been marked with the wrong um religious symbolism and i just yep. you know i just think it's um it's a it's an interesting story at an intersection in in time when we are talking about nazism when we're talking about world war II in the context of russia's claims in relationship to ukraine and so um i wanted to highlight that but there's some I, other I think jewish think news the, out there yeah go ahead
1: there, no i just think i think the the like the religion has has a deep hold on people mm-hmm. much more than than you know like politics i mean there are people that make politics their religion and therefore it has has religious type hold and there's you know immersion religions regularly uh like you know there's one right now but i i think it, it it there's a lot of a lot of like i don't know political statecraft people in the media people in in government particularly like in the state department They just have no regard for that. They're not religious people themselves, right? And so they don't understand um, why why religion matters to people, right? Because if you if you're not a religious person, it might be strange, like why, like who cares if they if the headstone is a cross instead of a star of David? You know, like what, like why should we fight to make that change, right? But the, the understand like people. Care deeply about their their faith and their history, and and religion, the major ones they go back a long time and and have deep roots, and it's it's not nothing.
0: All right, if you want texting... to get
1: the Church of England thing, right?
0: Yeah, I want to get to the Church of England thing. Yeah, tell me tell me what's going on there and the apology, um, and the apology because I think this is important. This like is related, once we get to right? the, yeah.
1: This is really. Good. It's related because eight hundred years ago, like eight hundred years ago, this is a long time, um, there there was a there was a synod of of Oxford when the Church of England basically expelled the Jews from from England. Uh, if you if they weren't expelled, they were required to wear badges. They they were uh, they couldn't interact with Christians. Um, they couldn't they couldn't work in certain professions. Right, it's actually where you get a lot of the things like uh, the the guilds and the orders. Like if you were like um, like the masons or the woodcarvers or the like these types of professions, because Jews could join those types of professions um, because they were they were around uh, crafts, right? Or like your I'm not crafts as in like you know knitting, mm, yeah. but crafts as in like <laughs> your your job, right? Um, Trade craft and yes, trade craft and so like you know the the Church of England uh, marked the 800 anniversary of the of the Synod of Oxford by, by apologizing for for this uh, for this edict and interestingly enough the edict was done on on the ninth uh, of Av which is the is in the ninth of Av was the day in which the the temple was destroyed, uh, and it's it, there's this like thing with the ninth of Av and and the Jews in which bad things consistently happen on the ninth of Av. The expulsions happened on the ninth of Av. Yeah, so
0: That's so fascinating. All right, keep now, the pictures of, of the puppies coming. Um, I might be in puppy love with Eway. I don't know what kind of dog Eway is, but in in his or her picture, it's like basically buried in a pile of of straw. Somebody is out feeding chickens, and it's still a little bit snowy. Um, Afton, Afton, good morning Afton. Afton is uh, a golden retriever feeling some pure joy this morning. Um, And I am, on behalf of Parker, Casey, and Camo, thankful for the cookie that they got, um, because they very obediently posed for a picture um, so that their mom could send it to me. (laughs) And we heard... We heard Margot Truffle um, Truffle Pig in the background. So good morning, Margot yeah. Truffle Pig. We are talking with Luke Moon. We're talking across a range of international headlines. When we come back, we're going to take a spin through Pakistan and India. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Continuing our conversation with Luke Moon from the Philos Project and Providence Magazine, Luke, what's going on? Uh, let's uh, let's start with Pakistan. What's um what's going on in Pakistan that you know has religious liberty implications?
1: Well, there there's a there's a group of there, there's an Islamic sect uh, called the Ahmadi, and uh, they've been around for basically since the 19th century. Their leader. You know, believe that he was, you know, the 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 last prophet after Muhammad, uh, and uh, they got in a squabble with some Sunni Muslims and and opened fire, ended up killing eight, uh, and you know has led to this, you know, a, a kind of a tit for tat. They're not considered uh, Muslim according to the Pakistani government, and yet you know they consider themselves Muslim um, and. Uh, so that 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 there's been a kind of spike over the last uh, few weeks in kind of um religiously motivated violence both in India and Pakistan over the last few months, For whatever reason it seems to be uh bubbling uh right now
0: and then in India. Um, I was interested in these, I'm going to call them religious liberty headlines, um, because I think that when you're in a country that has a particular religious majority, the way that majority then has the opportunity to influence minority religions, in this case, the minority religion um, being, uh, being Islam, um, it's, it's interesting to me. So give us uh, some of these headlines out of India
1: right so so there's a couple of, of big ones one is and this is actually becoming an issue not just in India but but elsewhere it's this it's the uh, the volume of the prayers being read out over from from the minarets uh, in from mosques uh, so in in India there was a big fight over the fact that the loudspeakers were just too dang loud right it sounds like you know some old guys like come on get off my lawn but it's like there comes a point when i you know i guess maybe it's like technology has improved and and you know to the point where they can really make some noise because not only is it in it isn't an issue in 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 india where it was in it was in mumbai it was the largest mosque um and the neighbors were like, enough already. This is just too loud. And, uh, you know, raise the issue with local officials, uh, local officials stepped in, and then it becomes this religious liberty issue. But it actually was one of the reasons why um, uh, it, 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 the conflict, a, a kind of scuffle in, in Israel happened last week over the same thing that people trying to pray at the Western Wall and the the loudspeakers on the Temple Mount uh, were 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 turned all the way up, and people were having a hard time praying and hearing each other, and and so the police stepped in and basically turned off the power, and uh, all, you know suddenly created an international incident, right? But that I I think what um you know it's it is this religious liberty uh situation i mean what i think is important for people to understand is that religious liberty doesn't actually happen very naturally right it's actually only effective when it's enforced by law it's a it's it's an aspect of rule of law which means it's an aspect it's like enforced by guns right (laughs) which is which is i think hard for people to get right you think you know you know, like I said before, the the churches or the, or religion is supposed to be not violent, you know, and people who are religious are, are, you know, are, are not uh, supposed to be violent, but, and yet you have these, the religious liberty must be enforced with guns and it won't happen otherwise. And so, you know, that's where there is this appeal to, to law and, you know, it, it becomes complicated, but if there's a, I mean, the reason you want good religious liberty laws is um, its why you negotiate any good contract. It's because you want to you want to fight when there's not something to fight about. So when there is something to fight about, you actually have something to appeal to that matters.
0: I was on an airplane recently and um, a, a particularly observant. Muslim person insisted on being able to stand and turn in the direction that uh you know he believes he is obligated to pray at a very specific time. The challenge was that we were uh you know, in a portion of the flight, um, you know, where the seatbelt sign is on and and on and on and on. And then he insisted on playing the audio of the prayer aloud. Um, over the speaker on his phone. Again, not, not something that, like, on it. Right? So I just think that these conversations about um, religious liberty and people's particular religious expressions and the rules that govern us um, wherever we live be it, you know, be it India or the United States of America or the rules that govern the airwaves uh, or the airways even like, I think that these are conversations that we have to figure out how to have. And then we have to figure out how to communicate them effectively with people across a range of religious expressions, because it's only getting more pluralistic and more diverse.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, but I also, I mean, I think that, like I said, I think you have to have the, you have to have the rules in place, right? I mean, and, and there is a, there's, there's a point in which, you know, the, the, the rules rules actually matter and they have to get enforced. And if it's not something that is, I mean, obviously every, you know, all the major religions have this sense that, you know, obeying God is more important than obeying the law. Right. (laughs) Uh, If the law goes against God's law. Uh, But I'm, you know, I, I, I think there's, you know, my, my sense is that, you know, the, the person making the stink was, was doing it to cause a stink, right? Like that is a, that's not mm-hmm. unusual, right? Like, and that, that, that is also part of the world in which we live in which it's, it's, it isn't actually the, the, the religion, the, the religious expression is not, there isn't a pluralistic understanding of it. It's like, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you do this. That's – which unfortunately, uh, you know, you, uh, to, to the, our first story with, with, with Afghanistan, uh, faith cannot be forced. People do not like to be forced into religious observance, right? Mm-hmm. People are fine, you know, like choosing that and I think, be, you know, people being able to choose to be any faith or no faith is, is, is fine, uh, but faith that is that is forced is is where you get significant resistance, um, and I think that you know that's that's part of that understanding of of pluralism is allowing people to practice their faith without resistance, right? Uh, and and with respect, right? Like in mm-hmm. and respect for not only your your like you know being able to do your own thing but not just being a total jerk right and and um i don't, I don't think we're i don't think we're allowed to be jerks right um, i think
0: that's the that's that's the Luke Moon quote of the day not allowed to be jerks um all right here is here would be the bible verse related to this i think um because it, it what you're talking about is religion under compulsion And when I think about verses related to, you know, being compelled to do something for a religious reason, I think about um, where Paul is saying to the Christians in Corinth, look, you know, it's important to give, but it's important to give, um, you know, out of a generous heart. It's, uh, you know, out of a cheerful spirit, not under compulsion. You know, everybody should do what they've already decided in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We think of that in terms of you know, material uh, giving um, or sacrificial giving on the behalf of the Christian, but it it extends to more than that. Like every everything that we do, we should do not only to the glory of God and to the honor of God, but we should do so not under compulsion, but out of this cheerful, um, generous, grace filled uh, reality. So I think um, yeah. thank, you for, yeah, thank you for helping us wander around in these religious liberty conversations today. we got to leave it right there. That's Luke Moon. You can find him at the Philos Project. You can also find him at Providence Magazine. Or maybe if he's being um, a dutiful dog dad, he's going to be out walking Margo Truffle Pig later today. And you could catch that. I don't know if you're in the right part of New York. Hey, thank you Thanks. so much for blessing us, Luke.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. All right. Keep your um, pics of your uh, furry friends coming. I am greeting each and every one of them personally on the text line, 877-933-2484. Thank you to Athena for her Christmas photo recently texted in. Oh, I got to take a break. Elliot, good morning. We'll be right back.
2: And they called it puppy
0: love. All right. Good morning, Elliot. Good, uh, good morning. Um, or I'm trying to scroll through these quickly. Um, good morning, you. Good morning, your Eway. Good morning, Clifford. Good morning, Athena. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.